welcome to ICU, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Let's be friends. Welcome to I See You. This is episode 31, Pornography Addiction Part 1, The Spouse. Hey everybody, how's it going? I had a cool week last week. I was a guest on Gaina Lynn's podcast called Reconnect, and that podcast is actually videoed, so that was pretty neat and really weird to watch myself. I play with my hair a lot, apparently, when I'm being interviewed, so I'm going to leave a link for that in the show notes, and you should check it out if you want. I just talk a little bit about my healing and my journey, and especially with healing in my family, and it was a neat experience. The review for this week is by Janana underscore WLKR, and it's entitled Uplifting Genuine dot dot dot. I can't see what the dot 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 is from the screen. Probably something nice, right? It's five stars. It says, I love listening to your podcast. It inspires me to do my best to connect with others and really see them. I also know that I'm not alone in my hardships and that I can keep working hard to improve myself every day. I've shared this podcast with many people and I know it'll change their lives just like it's changed mine. Thanks so much. Yeah, I feel like that's the entire purpose of this podcast is to help people feel like they're not alone and to kind of normalize some of that pain for us while still having a reverence for it. I really appreciate that review. Wherever you're listening, if you are able to rate and review it, that helps. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to my website, icupodcast.com, and just click on support the podcast. There's a place you can donate directly to the cost of the website. There's also some cute apparel you can buy with free shipping. I just got some more of mine this week, which I'm excited about. I'm sporting my hoodie right now. I'll put some pictures up of that for the different clothing items, and so they don't have those lame generic ones. It'll be me, so it's probably the beginning and end of my modeling career. I've been waiting a long time for this episode. I've, I've been wanting for a long time to finally talk openly and honestly on this podcast about something that so many are struggling with silently, and that is pornography addiction. Today, we are going to start the pornography addiction series, and I feel so grateful that my brother Eric and his wife Brianna are willing to share some of their sacred journey with us. In today's episode, we will hear about Brianna's experience as the spouse of a porn addict. Then on Tuesday, I will release part two, which will be the perspective of the addict in recovery, my brother, and it's going to be a long one and I don't want to cut it down. So just expect that while I usually try to keep my podcast about 20 to 30 minutes long, that one will probably be closer to an hour and it's going to be powerful stuff. And then next Friday, I will release part three where the couple will talk together about their beautiful marriage and the hope that they feel in recovery. So Friday, Tuesday, Friday is how the series is going to work. Usually I just release every Friday, but because I wanted to get this stuff out there quickly, I've wanted to talk about it for a long time because I know there's so many people that need to feel hope in this area of their life. I'm going to be putting in some extra hours and make sure we get it released out today, Friday for part one. Tuesday part two, and next Friday for part three. Also in the show notes, I'm going to list so many resources for anyone whose life has been affected by pornography addiction, which is most of us. So let's begin. All right. Welcome to I See You. We are going to start with pornography addiction part one. So I am here with Eric and Brianna. Eric is my big brother and Brianna's my sister-in-law. First of all, welcome to the podcast, Eric and Brianna. 
Hey. Thank you. Today we're going to focus on the spouse, Brianna. Brianna, will you start by telling us a little bit about yourself since we're going to focus on your part of the journey? Yeah. I love food probably is the one sentence that would sum me up the best. I love cooking food and I really love eating food. I also really like to yard sale. I love my family and I love hanging out with Eric. She's good at (laughs) cooking food. That's very true. That is very true. I can attest to that. We love eating at Brianna's house. She just makes us eat any and eat. (laughs) We're going to get straight to it. Can you tell us how pornography addiction has affected your life, Brianna? Well, when Eric and I were engaged was the first time that that kind of came out in our relationship when I first found out about it. And he told me when we were engaged and told me that he had had a problem with looking at pornography in the past. And that was a huge shock to me and super devastating. But it was great that he was honest with me. And we had a really great bishop at the time who counseled with us and sent us to a really great therapist to do a little bit of premarital counseling about pornography to try and help us get a good start. At that time with the therapy, I just, I didn't really understand what addiction was. I could tell like I was learning good things in therapy and I felt like it was a good thing, but I just didn't really get it that he had an addiction and I just thought it was done and it was in the past and we were gonna be good now because we are getting married. We love each other and it's great. We got married and then sometime in our first year of marriage, he came to me and told me that he had been struggling with looking at pornography. That was a shock to me and super sad But again, I still didn't understand addiction and I didn't realize that there was uh, a deeper problem. I just thought, okay, well, he's done with that. So we'd been married for a few more years. And then I found out again that Eric was still involved with pornography and it was a lot bigger problem than I thought. Um, But I still didn't understand addiction at that time. And so we, you know, doubled down and I was just so hurting and we were so alone. I, you know, put passwords on all the computers and we even bought like a lock that was the most ridiculous thing to lock our laptop to chain it to the table so it couldn't be taken anywhere and that was like I totally went on wacko crazy angry hurting wife control mode and just tried to lock down all the technology in our life still not understanding addiction and recovery but it was bad that was a dark time and so then for the next few years like there would be something where I would maybe find something on the computer and realize there was still a problem but I certainly wasn't talking to anyone about it I still didn't understand addiction Eric and I weren't really talking very much about it except just these occasional disclosures. I just remember feeling so alone. Like I have this vivid memory of just being in the shower and just crumpled on the floor, bawling my eyes out because I felt so alone. Like I'm hurting so much. I can't talk to anyone about this. My friends and people at church and things ask me how I'm doing and what I need. And like, I can't talk to them. You don't talk to people about pornography and the stuff going on in your marriage. And so I just felt so, so alone. You know, we went a few more years down the road and I thought that he had kicked it. And I thought that it was a problem that was long in our past. We would have these really awkward, dumb (laughs) check-ins where I would just say, how you doing? You know, in this really vague way. And and he was like, I'm good. And sometimes that meant I'm good. Like I didn't look at pornography today, but (laughs) so I just thought it was totally in the past. We got several more years down the road and then we had our daughter pass away. I was just in pieces over that in such a dark place after her death and just felt like I was kind of at the end of my rope. Then I had gone out of town on a trip and then I came back and Eric disclosed to me that he had been looking at pornography and he had been looking at pornography a lot for a long time. 
it was like I had one leg of my stool left kind of and that leg just got chopped off and taken out from under me and plunged into this totally dark place. There's this analogy of an addict when they finally disclose and finally come clean. It's like they're coming out of this dark closet but the spouse gets thrown into that closet. So the addict comes out into the light and is finally going to get help and feels so much hope but the spouse didn't know about the closet and gets thrown in. And so that's what it felt like. Eric started to find recovery and finally get help that he needed and we started to learn about addiction but I was just in such a rough place. You have since found a lot of healing. What you're describing sounds a lot like what I've heard termed as betrayal trauma. You talk about being thrown in the closet. Yeah. So how would you describe betrayal trauma to someone that's not familiar with that term and how have you personally experienced it? Yeah. I had a therapist that I worked with on my own just talking about trauma in general. And then when I heard about this term betrayal trauma, I was so excited because I was like, yes, that, that's, that's like what I'm feeling. for your pain. Yeah, totally. You know, trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event. And so betrayal trauma is when there's infidelity in a relationship and that trust and safety is broken. Then you have all of these characteristics of trauma. So you have depression and anxiety and you can have heightened emotional state like you can't sleep and you are yelling and angry and you're constantly reliving things and you're having flashbacks. You can have physical responses like a racing heart and nausea and stuff like that. Just kind of the whole gamut. It is a trauma, but it's a trauma in that context of the relationship when a relationship has been betrayed, a really intimate relationship. I remember when I learned about that betrayal trauma, I was just like, yes, okay, I am not crazy and I'm not just can't get over this and there's not something wrong with me. These are real feelings and real pain and and it has a name and I'm not alone. Have there been people in your life that have showed you compassion or connected to you that it's made dealing with your husband having a pornography addiction, that it's made a little bit easier by them seeing you? Yeah. Just on a a real basic level, at the beginning, I say the beginning, I mean Eric's last disclosure, the big one, where we... That was kind of rock bottom for Eric, right? Yeah, that was... your daughter's death. That was the low, low moment of my life there with, you know, betraying Brianna and, you know, also doing it and she was mourning the loss of our little one and when I was mourning that and trying to be more committed to things and failing again it was definitely a low point for me so that was rock bottom and the the moment when things changed for us well at least for me the change happened for Brianna a little slower I think yeah it was slower for me but that was kind of the beginning of our recovery path finding recovery at the very beginning when Eric disclosed to me that last time I was just so shocked and hurt and not sleeping. I would walk out to the couch in the middle of the night and just sit there and Eric's asleep in bed and everyone's asleep and I'm just bawling and praying and shaking, literally physically shaking, just so awful. So I am in a very dark, hard place, freaking out, so angry at him, all the feels at once, all the time. It was... Oh, just the stress and cortisol flowing 24-7. So bad. I can laugh at it now. I was not laughing then. I was a wreck and wanted answers and also just so much grief and pain. One night, I can't even describe how beside myself I was. Anyone that's gone through it knows because you've been there. I just was like, we have to talk. We have to talk. We had two little kids at the time and how someone saw me getting back to that. My sister-in-law and brother-in-law lived by us and we just like showed up on their door. I don't know, we maybe texted them beforehand. I don't know, like I was out of my mind kind of with anger and pain. And we just kind of showed up on their door and we're like, we need you to watch our kids right now. We have to go, we have to go talk. We had told them about our situation and so they knew that we were kind of on rocky ground. 
So they're like, okay. And they just took our kids. Even now it amazes me that they did that. Cause I think I'd be like, what the heck, you know, yeah. if someone dropped their kids off to me that way, but they did, they just watched our kids for an unknown amount of time. And we just went and walked and talked and I yelled and we cried and just all the things babysitting kids. You don't want your kids around when you're trying to work through stuff. And sometimes just having someone take your kids, that was so helpful for me. Also in that same vein, watching our kids and offering to babysit for therapy appointments. You know, we have done a lot of therapy and for meetings, we go to addiction recovery meetings, having babysitters for that. Those are really, really helpful ways. Another thing is just talking. I have some friends now who have confided in me as they've learned my story. They've confided in me about their struggles with their husband's pornography and sexual addictions. I just cherish those relationships because we're so open. This part that I hid for so long and just suffered silently and I'm sure they did too. And so that is one way that I just love is when people just tell me about their struggles and we can just talk and we can have that real relationship and we can be chatting about one thing and then just kind of seamlessly transition into talking talking about recovery and addiction and things. And that is amazing. Another way that people have seen me and helped me is just letting me talk to them and cry when things are hard. The path to recovery is kind of like two steps forward, one step back sometimes, right? Or sometimes it's like 10 steps forward and half a step back. But there are little bumps in the road and little slips as you're learning to navigate recovery. And we have noticed a pattern of that is difficult for us in our relationship to stay connected is times when we're apart from each other, like going out of town and things like that. Those are historically very triggering and tricky times to navigate in recovery. Why is it difficult when you're away from each other? Yeah, just because so much of finding recovery and healing from a sexual addiction, probably any addiction, is just connection. It's what you talk about on this podcast, compassion and connection. When we turn to addiction, when we're trying to escape problems and when we're lacking connection. So connection is a way just to heal that and to fill that part of us instead of using addiction to fill it, whatever it is, drugs or pornography or alcohol or gambling or whatever. When we're apart from each other, it's really hard because we love each other. We're each other's best friends. We talk, we share our highs and lows from the day, you know, all of that, you know, physical connection, things like that. And so it's really tough when we're apart because we just feel that loss of connection so much. So that has been a triggering time for Eric and harder to stay sober. We've had our bumps and our ups and downs with that as we progress along recovery. This is a way actually that you saw me recently. We were going out of town and and you and I were taking a flight together. I had just been having a really hard time preparing to leave because I knew that there was a higher than normal possibility that Eric was going to slip in some way. It just sucks thinking about that. It's yeah. painful and it is discouraging and it's scary. I'm sure it's hard to make that decision to leave, yeah. like to weigh the pros and cons of, I really need this because we were going on a girl's trip. Yeah. Right? Like, I really need this for my sanity as a mom, as a yeah. wife, to have this me time. I can understand how you could feel this sense yeah. of responsibility, which maybe you shouldn't even feel. Just like, am Is I this doing this at the expense of... Yeah. the expense of my yeah. husband feeling more tempted or yeah. my spouse feeling more tempted. Yeah, That's and just tricky. like feeling angry too, like, ugh, why? Why is this part of my life? Why can't I just go on a stupid trip without guilty and scared and worried and sick to my stomach, I you know? I just have to say, I think it's amazing that you guys can sit in the same room and talk about these feelings yeah. and have that kind of trust. It shows you guys have a really safe relationship that you've obviously done a lot of work on. You can say those things and Eric can sit here and honor that for you. Yeah. It's incredible. It's really yeah. special. It is. Lots of, he's a good one. Lots of therapy, lots of talking it out. <laughs> yeah, so you and I were waiting in the airport and I just had been torn up about leaving and it just felt so scared and crappy. And I think at some point you asked how I was doing and I just was like, you know what, I am not doing well. And I think I broke down crying and just kind of told you how I was feeling, all those things. And you were so great just to listen and cry with me. And, you know, we were in the middle of the airport and it was so nice. I just felt like I could be open with you. It meant so much 
to not have to carry that burden alone and to be able to have someone that loved me and that I could talk to. And I felt so much better even after just talking to you, just unloading that burden a little bit. So that meant a lot. So it's really good to have people to be able to talk to. What's neat about that experience for me too, is like you said, we had this moment where we're crying together and I think we're holding hands and I just felt not only an increased love for you, but an increased love for my brother and the road that you guys walk. And it felt just really complicated and beautiful all at once. I don't know. And obviously I'm not in your position. And so I know that it doesn't always feel beautiful to you, but to just acknowledge and watch you guys struggle and work for your marriage, it was a sacred thing for me to be a part of. So thanks for trusting me with that. That was huge. Yeah. And one other kind of interesting way that I feel like people have seen me and my family and my husband is once we have talked to them a little bit about addiction and what that's like and some struggles we've had, they have just tried to be really conscientious around us as far as uh, media choices or the way they dress or things like that. If they're telling us about a movie, for instance, recommending a movie, they'll be like, oh, you know, there is this one part just, you know, not in like an awkward way, but just trying to think about it and not give us some movie recommendation for something that obviously we're not going to watch because we've made choices that that stuff isn't a part of our lives. It's things like that. Or like you came to me uh, kind of in the beginning when we first told you guys and you were just asking and saying, hey, I am just kind of thinking about this. Am I wearing clothes that are too tight? And just trying to be aware because the fact is that men are visual creatures a lot more so. I'm generalizing, but it is true. Like science says that. Also, they're attracted to the female body. I have really felt seen and appreciated when people just recognize that, hey, we all need to to just help each other out. Along those same lines, seeing Brianna, obviously it's hard for me if I go into some situation where there's a lot of immodesty or whatever. But, you know, it's it's interesting because sometimes we're going, we go to the store and I don't see anything. But it's really painful to Brianna to walk by something and think that, I see it and be worried about me seeing it. Obviously, you know, we want the men in the world to control themselves and to be good. And we wish that everyone had good self-control and didn't deal with things like this. I certainly wish that that was the case. But there are also, you know, there are really good, innocent women out there that are having to deal with a lot of pain and stuff from, you know, their own gender's behavior. I agree with that. It's interesting. I've learned so much since we really started recovery with Brianna because I didn't understand at all about how she felt about things. It's really painful for a woman that's been betrayed and has a husband who deals with pornography. It's really a hard thing. And to have people be out there that feel like they're fighting against them and and out there with what they're wearing, hitting on their husband, kind of, right? Mm -hmm. It's a really painful thing. You think about the perspective, men need to control themselves. Even if the men aren't controlling themselves out there, there's betrayed women out there that, that it's really painful for. So it's really, I think, a really generous and wonderful way to see people like us, husband and wife, who don't want to be part of this, who have to live in this world where, you know, people do what they want. a world that's so over-sexualized and it's just in your face. I know you and I have talked about and shared about just body image issues in mm-hmm. general and how it can take a toll on you mm-hmm. if your spouse has struggled with a sexual addiction. It's yeah. like to not compare yourself. Yeah. I can't imagine because I just think for a woman in general, mm-hmm. I can't speak for men, but I know women in general, we compare ourselves constantly and our bodies, we're so hard on them constantly. Yeah. So then on top of that, if you've had a husband with a sexual addiction that's looked at other women in that way, I can imagine that that's just through the roof. Oh yeah. I have done a lot of work and I have had a lot of healing from the Lord about that issue, about body image and done a lot of work in therapy about it. I feel like I'm in a really good place now. At the beginning, when we were first starting recovery, oh, 100%, I was in that. 
I am not good enough. I can never compare to things that Eric has seen. And if I looked better, whatever was better, this wouldn't be a problem. 100%. It just makes you doubt yourself and loathe yourself. It is the That's worst. That's like the biggest lie of addiction. Yeah. Probably, or not the yeah, biggest lie. Yeah, for women. Is that somehow I caused it if I was more sexy or more pretty or thinner or whatever, this wouldn't be an somehow issue. Somehow this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Totally. I was there 100%. And I kind of, I'm glad you brought that up because I kind of forget now because I have found such amazing healing. I recognize that for the lie it is. And I know 100% it's not me. And I am not taking that. I'm not on that crazy train. But definitely in the beginning, that was there. How has this given you empathy for marriages that, that are struggling with this? Yeah. I remember another vivid memory is, again, in the shower. I do a lot of thinking in the shower, I guess. Me too. But, shower. Yeah, it's a sacred the, space. That's right. I remember just thinking, you know, we were like finding a solid footing in recovery. And I had a sponsor in the addiction recovery program, which is just to clarify, that's a 12-step program through the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's a 12-step addiction recovery program. It's amazing. I can't say enough good about it, but that's what I mean when I'm talking about that. We worked that program, that 12-step program. So I had a sponsor that was sponsoring me in that program. Eric had a sponsor that was sponsoring him in that program. And we were working through the 12 steps he was working through them as a recovering addict and I was working through them for myself as a spouse of an addict. That's a whole nother story. Anyway, so I we were finding some really solid footing in recovery and I just was seeing truth. I remember that feeling like someone was opening curtains and the light was coming in, just like truth. And it was beautiful and glorious and light. Finding out the truth about addiction and finding out the truth about men and women's brains and bodies and relationships and just all of these things. Diving deeper into the truths of the atonement of Jesus Christ, his atoning sacrifice where he suffered and died for us and he felt all of our pains and he took on himself all of our sins learning about that and really coming to know that for myself, finding that healing. I felt like I was just being flooded with all this light and truth and seeing hope, seeing like, we're going to get through this and it's going to be okay. We're going to make it and I'm going to not hurt someday. I just remember feeling that and feeling so excited about all of that knowledge and all of that hope and just having this thought like, oh, I need to do something. Like I need to start a blog or something, but it's going to be anonymous. I don't know. Like I just want to shout to the world all the things. Like I see you. I see you all you wives and husbands, whoever you are, spouses of addicts. I see you crumpled on the floor in the shower and I see you not sleeping at night shaking and crying and I see you hurting. I don't know if that's an answer to your question, but I just remember this overwhelming feeling of, oh, I just want to connect with everyone. I want to tell them that I see them and I know they're hurting and it's going to be okay and there's hope out there. It's like a sacred space. It's an awful space, one I don't think I would willingly choose to go back to, but it is sacred when you have those moments of connecting with people and you know that they know exactly what you felt and they've been there and they've been on the floor and they've just been shaking and so much pain and feeling like their whole life was blown apart. So it is a really sacred thing when you can connect with people. And I just feel so much love when I find out that other people have experienced similar things. What are some ways you can see someone who's married to someone that has a pornography addiction? The first place to start is just loving them, listening to them, letting them cry on your shoulder and just continue to love them. A close second to that is becoming educated about sexual addiction. There is so much misconception out there about what it is and if it is an addiction and like, oh, just stop. And it's so much. It's crazy. And I've been there. I've been the one that totally didn't get it and didn't know how to get out of it and didn't recognize it when it was in my marriage, you know? So I think that is a huge thing you can do is go get educated about sexual addiction, what it is, what it isn't, how it works and how you can find recovery. 
it is frustrating to have conversations with people who just don't know a lot about addiction because sometimes that can be really minimizing the things that they say, really not validating and really frustrating when you're like, whoa, I have been fighting for my life and for my marriage. And then to have you make a comment like that, ouch. And also it's just maddening, right? So I think that that is huge. There's so many good resources and I think you're going to have a link to some great resources. Absolutely. Yeah, in the show notes we're going to share links for each of these parts of this series on pornography addiction. I'm going to have you hook me up with all those links yeah. those awesome resources. It's going to help a ton of people. So there's so many great resources. Go read. Go talk to a therapist. Go do something and just kind of get educated. I think that is a huge way that you can see people. The big thing is just being willing to talk. Talking about it. Let's talk about it, everyone. Like Let's talk about most it. Most of us are dealing Dealing with it, whether it's your husband or your son or your father or your brother, most of us are dealing with pornography in our lives, or if it's yourself. I love that you say that because how long have you and I been texting back and forth or calling back and forth being like, we have to talk about this yeah. on the podcast. We have to talk about it yeah. because it's everywhere. Pornography addiction is everywhere. It's just like this silent killer yeah. of relationships yeah. and we have to talk about it. Yep. It's not going away. Yep. It's not going away. Yep. It breeds in shame and secrecy and in the darkness. That is the only thing that is going to help us is connecting about it and getting out into the light and talking about it for the love. (laughs) Talk about it. For the love. Yes. (laughs) If there's someone listening that is struggling because their spouse or a loved one is just in the thick of that pornography addiction, what would you say to them? I think first I would just say to them that I am so sorry I just feel for you. My heart goes out to you and you're not alone. There's so many people. You feel so alone. If you are, you know, like haven't told anyone and it's in the dark, you feel so alone. And that is an awful place to be, but you're not alone. Find someone that you can confide in and just share that burden and start with one person, whoever that is for you. Also, I would just say that there is so much hope. One thing that I feel like is really important is the way that I have found hope and healing. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and Christian, and I believe in Jesus Christ. And none of this would happen, like no hope and healing would happen without him. He is the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. Because of him, there is hope and there's healing. There's hope for your marriage. There's hope for your spouse. But most importantly, there's hope for you. That's one really important thing that I had to learn was that I had placed my husband at my center. Like if you had me and my life was a circle and the center of my circle is my rock and my foundation, what grounds me for so long, that was my husband. And it was so fun and so romantic when we got married, right? I loved him so much and he was the answer to everything, to all my problems. And so then that rocked me when the center of my circle, there was so much betrayal and lying. One thing that has been so important to my recovery is realizing that I had that wrong and that I love my husband so much and we have such a wonderful marriage and he's my best friend, but he's not the center of my circle. Jesus Christ is my rock and he's my center because the great thing is, is that he is perfect and loving and all knowing and good. He's the perfect person to have at my center because he will always be there for me. I can always look to him and I can be linked to him. He's my rock. I guess I would just say that, that because of Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice for us, he has paid the price and suffered and he's there for us. One thing that was so important for me in my healing, I remember just feeling so angry, getting to a point where I was so angry with Eric and I wanted him to hurt like I hurt. I just felt like this terrible sense of injustice, like 
I haven't done anything wrong here. I mean, I have. Like, no one's perfect in a marriage. But I haven't done this big wrong thing. And it's so unfair that I'm hurting so much and you're not. And I just, like, wanted to hurt him so that he would hurt like I did. In church one day, someone was... I can't even remember where the quote was from. But they read this quote about how Jesus Christ had paid the price for all of the wrong things that people have done. And he took that pain. He suffered and took that punishment. And so it was done. And that just hit me. I can't express how profound that was for me. I realized that I don't need to get even with Eric and I didn't need to have him feel the hurt because Jesus Christ did it. He stood in Eric's place and he felt that hurt and he took it. He's just everything. He's the center. He's what makes everything work. Hold on and go find help. Find a good therapist. Work a 12-step program. Find your recovery. There's hope out there. What's neat about all this is we recorded all three parts of this series together last week. And we did it at night after our kids were in bed. It was super late. And it was just so special to be all together, me, Brianna, and Eric. It was really neat for me. And I felt really honored to just sit there in real time and listen to them discuss some of the most intimate, difficult things in their life, but that they are now using to help others and to give hope to others. So... As I said earlier, part two will be released on Tuesday, and we will have the perspective of Eric as the addict in recovery the following Friday. So a week from today will be part three, where we talk about hope in their marriage and recovery. Thanks for joining me. My name is Julie Lee, and I see you.